Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. So my friend and fellow pastor Kevin Harney writes this story. He wrote this some years ago. He said, recently I took my children to a restaurant, and my six-year-old son asked if he could say grace. As we bowed our heads, he said, God is good, God is great, thank you for the food, and I would thank you even more if mom gets us ice cream for dessert and liberty and justice for all, amen. Along with the laughter from the customers nearby, we heard a woman remark, well, that's what's wrong with this country. By the way, if anybody ever leads with, that's what's wrong with this country, you can completely ignore them, okay? That's what's wrong with this country. Kids don't even know how to pray. Asking God for ice cream, well, I never. Hearing this, my son burst into tears. Did I pray wrong, Dad? Is God mad at me? I held my son. And I assured him that he did a terrific job and that God certainly was not mad at him. And then an elderly gentleman approached. He winked to my son. He said, I happen to know that God thought your prayer was great. Really? My son asked. Cross my heart, the man replied. And he said with a theatrical whisper, too bad she never asked God for ice cream. A little ice cream is good for the soul sometimes. So naturally, I bought my kids ice cream at the end of the meal. By the way, if this had been me, I would have bought banana splits for everyone at the end of the meal. So I bought my children ice cream at the end of the meal. My son stared at his for a moment and then did something that I'll remember for the rest of my life. He pecked up his Sunday and without a word, walked over and placed it in front of the woman. And with a big smile, he said, here, this is for you. Ice cream is good for the soul sometimes, and my soul is good already. I love this because it's a parable of prayer, and here's the point that my friend makes with this. He says, the point is not that we need to pray for ice cream. The truth is we can pray about everything, including ice cream. And I would add to that that this is a parable about what to do with the answers that we get. So Jesus loved to tell stories, and he loved to tell parables, too, about prayer. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 18 today. And, and by the way, one thing you need to know about Luke, he loves to pair things up. You know, around the birth of Christ, he has two elderly saints, Simeon and uh, Anna, and he, he pairs them up. And then when it comes to Jesus around his birth, Jesus goes to the temple twice, once as a baby, once as a young man. He pairs those up. And even here in Luke 18, when Jesus is talking about prayer, he takes two parables of prayer and he joins them together. Luke likes to operate in pairs. So, keeping with the theme of ice cream, can you tell what I'm hunkering for right now? Keeping with the theme of ice cream, I want us to imagine these two parables that we're about to, to read as a, a double-stacked ice cream cone. And you know what happens? That as you eat down on that first scoop of Rocky Road, the Rocky Road kind of melts just a little bit into the cherry's jubilee, right? And right there at the intersection of those two flavors is a flavor beyond flavor. So here's what I want to do. I want to take the first parable, just handle it by itself. Take the second parable, that second scoop, look at it by itself. But then I want to let the two melt together just a little bit. 
and to see some truths that are beyond just the surface of these parables. So this is Luke chapter 18. Again, Luke likes to pair things up, and so here are two parables on prayer beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Right here, we have the key to understanding this parable. We don't need to guess at the point that Jesus is trying to make. We don't need to try to create some far-fetched application or allegory. He's trying to teach his disciples and us, keep praying, don't give up, meaning that the problem with prayer is not really God's indifference, it's our indifference, right? So he told them this story. In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. So right here we meet a problem. Here's a judge, and he didn't really care for God, really didn't care for people. In other words, he's living at the opposite end of the two great commandments to love God and love others. So whatever is about to happen, this is, this is the problem, is this unjust judge. He either feared God or cared what people thought. And there was a widow, a very vulnerable person in that town, who kept coming to him with a plea. What is prayer? Prayer is a plea. It's turning our need Godward. Grant me justice against my adversary. So for some time, this judge refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet this widow keeps bothering me. Her persistence had become a pain. He didn't care about justice, but he cared about his own comfort, right? This widow keeps coming and bothering me. I will see that she gets justice so she won't eventually come and wear me out. Now, right here, Jesus puts his finger on an idea that had taken root in Judaism at the time that if you had a request, you weren't to ask God for something more than three times a day because more than three times a day would wear him out. Is that really true? So remember the challenge of this parable is pray and don't give up. The problem is not God's indifference. It's our indifference that we battle with in prayer most of the time. Uh, George Gallup, he was um, about a century ago, he was at the University of Iowa, he was editor for the Daily Iowan, and he did his first scientific poll. Everyone knows the Gallup poll, right? Well, his first poll was right about 100 years ago. His first scientific poll was, who is the prettiest girl on campus? Everyone concluded the prettiest girl on campus was Ophelia Smith, which he then set out to meet and marry, which he did. You know, we are persistent about so many things. We're persistent about our education. We're persistent about the person we fall in love with. We're persistent about our success, our careers. We're persistent about so many things, but oftentimes when it comes to prayer, we are passive. I don't know why that is. I just know that it is. And Jesus tells us this parable, don't give up. Let me read this last paragraph. And the Lord said, listen. Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him night and day? I tell you, he will give them justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So the point of this parable 
God is not like the unjust judge. God is unlike the unjust judge. If even a, a, an unjust person can grant justice every now and then, every now and then they can get it right, how much more will God answer and answer justly if we persist? So here's the idea I want to play with for just a moment. God is not the unjust judge even when it feels like that he is. God is not like that unjust judge even when it seems to us, even when it feels to us like he is. So here's where we need to explore just a bit why God sometimes doesn't answer our prayers right away or answer prayers in the way we want. Sometimes we are not praying what is right or for what is right in God's view of things. I'm going to take a very sensitive issue here of healing, okay? Sometimes when we're ill, maybe there's a cancer diagnosis, there's a tumor, there's a problem with the brain, a problem with the heart, something that is genuinely life-threatening. We pray to God for healing. And I've seen God answer those prayers over the years in some spectacular and miraculous way. But an equal number, I have seen God not answer those prayers over the years. And could it be that we persist in prayer, we keep asking for healing when all along, that's not the right thing to be praying because it's God's will and it's God's intent that this illness will be the end of our life. Now, that sounds really funny to hear a pastor say, a person of faith, but you know, we all have to die at some point, right? That's all going to happen to us at one point. At some point, we're going to face an illness that we will not receive healing from, okay? That's going to happen. So if we're praying for healing and it's God's desire to take us, we continue to pray that until once we see that He's not going to change our health, He begins to change our heart. And we begin to pray for other things. Because maybe in our death, we can be an example of Christ to somebody else. And in our death, we can become more like Christ as we face death in trust as Jesus did. Do you see, we could be praying for healing when God's will in that situation is that He be magnified in us and glorified in front of others. But we don't know that at the time. So my encouragement is keep on praying for healing, but also be open to the fact that God may be looking at the situation very, very different from us. So sometimes we're, we're praying things that, and I don't mean to say that they're wrong or evil, but it's, it's not the right prayer, not yet, but we have to get there by going through our persistence. Sometimes we pray for things that, that are not only not right, but they are wrong. They are bad for us, but we can't see that. So in 1958, there were some military exercises going on off the coast of Savannah, Georgia. And as a B-47 bomber collided with an F-86 fighter, and when the two collided in this air exercise, the bomber was badly damaged, barely airworthy, and it needed to drop its load as much as possible in order to get back to base. So it dropped a 7,600-pound bomb a 7,600-pound nuclear bomb, <laughs> and it's buried. It's believed to be probably buried in 10 foot of sand somewhere uh, off, the, off, off Tibby Island there in Georgia. The Army has searched for it for a number of years, has yet to find it, right? 
And probably what's going to happen at some point, and, the, and there's some debate of whether the, the, the bomb was actually armed or not, but there's an unexploded bomb out there somewhere, right? And it could go off at any moment. Sometimes we're asking for things, particularly when it comes to success. Sometimes we ask for things that we don't know this, but if we actually got what we're asking of God, it's going to blow up in our face. We can't see that. We don't know that. We pray persistently, and sometimes God doesn't answer because we're not asking for something that ultimately will be for our good. And then sometimes God will delay. So sometimes we're, we're not praying for what's right. Sometimes we're not praying for, for what is good for us. Sometimes we're not praying for what's best for us. And I know as parents, you probably have this experience. You're at the toy store with your kid, and he sees this toy. Dad, I want to get this. I've got my money. I'm ready to go. And you know they have a birthday right around the corner, and you know not only are they going to get that, but they're going to get a couple of others. And you're like, hey, let's not get that right now because you have a big day coming, right? And you ask them to put it back, and they don't understand, and they don't like it because actually something better is coming. All this to say, be persistent in prayer. Sometimes we're not praying what is right, and we need to change. Sometimes we're praying for what is not good for us, and we need to grow. And sometimes we're not praying for what is best for us, and we need to trust. But even in the middle of all of this, I would encourage you, be persistent in prayer. I'm going to show you a short video here for just a second. Actually, it takes 17 seconds. I don't know why I enjoy this video so much, but um, my, my wife has caught me several times. I have it on my phone, and she'll be looking over at me, and I'll, you know, we'll be reading or something, and I'll be laughing. She said, you're watching that video again, aren't you? I go, yeah, I just, I can't, I can't stop looking at this video. It's a guy slipping on the ice. Give 17 seconds. Watch this. So the reason I wanted to show you that video, that is a picture of persistence. He's not giving up, okay? He's not quitting. He's going to try to regain his I think the funniest part for me is when he looks like he's running on the treadmill. I don't know why I think that's funny, but I admire his persistence. Be that way in prayer. So now here's the second parable. Jesus said, I want you to pray and not give up. So here's the second parable, verse 9 of Luke 18. To some who are confident in their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So we don't need to wonder what this parable is about either. Jesus says, I want you to be careful of being like that person who stands on the stage and looks down on everyone else. What's wrong with that? He says, I, I want you to understand your posture when it comes to prayer. Are you looking down at others or are you looking up at God? Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, very religious person, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. Actually, he promoted himself. He postured. He gave God his resume. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of everything that I get. But the tax collector, he stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. By the way, look at the last three words of his prayer, me, 
a sinner. That's a great prayer. It is a great posture with which to approach God in repentance and in humility because most of our world doesn't know how to admit when it's wrong. As followers of Jesus, we admit when we're wrong and we embrace who it is that can make us right. I'm going to use another illustration from parenthood. Several years ago, I, I took my family out for dinner after church uh, one day, and I went to a restaurant, and they had those little after-dinner mints, and unthinkingly, I let my daughter, who was three years old, grab one, put it in her mouth. Next thing I know, I look over, she's choking on that mint. I take her, turn her upside down, start doing the baby Heimlich, nothing's happening. And I find myself turning her around, feeling very helpless right now. I don't know what to do next. And I turn and I say to the restaurant, I need help. It's, it's almost as though I just heard those words come out of my mouth. I didn't even consciously think about saying them. I just, I said those words, somebody needs to help me. Now, to let you know, she's fine, okay? <laughs> Everything turned out just right. Somebody told me what to do. I did it, and she was safe. But that was a prayer. Somebody needs to help me. That's exactly the cry of this tax collector here. Somebody needs to help me. Do you see the Pharisee? He could see everyone's sins but his own. The tax collector could see no one's sins but his own. This is a posture of prayer of absolute surrender. So now can we let these two melt together for just a moment? Because what I hope you see in the first parable, we're taught about stubbornness in prayer. Be stubborn. And in the second prayer, we're taught about surrender. And so to pull both of those together as attributes of prayer that we think they're opposites but actually they're just different flavors that we have a stubborn surrender when it comes to our relationship with God. So let's pull those two parables together. In the first parable you have a woman. Second parable you have a man. You have the widow and the tax collector. In the first parable it's a secular setting. It's in the law courts. In the second parable it's in a temple. It's in a sacred setting. In the first parable, the widow's done nothing wrong. In fact, she's done everything right. In the second parable, the tax collector has done nothing right. He's done everything wrong. Why do I mention those characteristics? Whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you've done, to practice a stubborn surrender to God. If I could put it in another way, I would put it like this. Get in God's face and allow God to get in your face. Before I put a bow on this here in just a moment, uh, I want to give some counsel, just some direct thoughts about prayer, and I'm encouraging you. In fact, I'm teaching through a Wednesday night class on praying the Psalms, and I've encouraged our folks, folks this week to have a set time of prayer, to put it on your calendar, to put it on your daily schedule, not as a form of legalism, but as a form of priority. We make those a priority who are important to us. We put them on our schedule. Put God on your schedule. Get to God before the world gets to you. So some simple counsel. By the way, I openly admit that I have stolen this from Richard Foster. He gives some great advice on prayer. 
Don't be discouraged by your lack of prayer. Maybe you feel like you don't deserve to pray because you haven't been praying. Forget that. That's another voice trying to convince you to continue down this road that you're already on. Quit feeling guilty about the past. Here's the next play. Focus on that. Start praying now. Second, let go of trying too hard to pray. We, we clinch up and we, we try to make something happen. Listen, it's, it's not about trying to make something happen. It's about meeting somebody. Just talk to God what's, what's on your mind, what's on your heart, what, what are you struggling with right now? And, and even sometimes we say, well, I don't know what to pray. We'll deal with this in a couple of weeks. You know, am I praying God's will? Just start praying, okay? Because it's often through that process of praying the wrong things or praying things that aren't good for us that we discover what's right and best, okay? It's a process. Cut yourself some slack. Don't overthink it. Just start praying. Um, another piece of advice. Strive for uneventful prayer experiences. In other words, if you're bored, you're not doing it wrong. If you're bored, you're not necessarily doing it wrong. Now, prayer should be refreshing, but we shouldn't always expect this emotional high whenever we pray, because if that happened, then we would start seeking the emotion more than we would start seeking God. You're not after the feelings, you're after the Lord. And by the way, after 30 years of marriage, you know, I don't come home from a, every time I take my wife on a date, don't tell her this, I don't come home from a date with these great romantic feelings because it's not about the feelings, it's about the relationship. Finally, quit waiting to be perfect before you start praying. I've got sin in my life, you've got sin in yours. Oftentimes we know the things we've done that very day and we say, I just don't deserve to pray right now. I still feel that all the time. Quit waiting to be perfect. In fact, it might be those things that you've done that needs to be the content of your prayer for that day. Take it to the Lord with a stubborn surrender. Get in His face and let Him get in yours. Years ago, um, my son was playing a late-night baseball game out in Jenks. Uh, I think it was during his sophomore, junior year. Just as the game started, the pitcher for the other team had an epileptic seizure. He collapsed on the mound. It was just like the first pitch of the first inning. Coaches ran out, and I saw his mother from the stands hightail it through the dugout, out on the field, to the mound. The son was laying out completely prostrate on, on, the, on the mound. And I'll never forget this picture for the rest of my life, but that mother laid down toe-to-toe, hip-to-hip, face-to-face with her son, and she laid there and she spoke to him. She laid on the ground and spoke to her son for the 10 minutes before the paramedics arrived. She got in her son's face, and her son's face was right there in front of hers. Prayer is getting in God's face. And letting God get in our face. We're going to practice stubbornness. We're going to bring to Him everything we feel like we want, need, and have to have. But we're also going to listen to His voice and surrender. And trust Him to answer with what is right. And what is good. And what is best. Father, I pray for every person who is struggling to pray. May it not be about doing the prayers just right or having a feeling. May it just be about having a relationship with you. Help us to keep it simple. And in that 
simplicity discover a profound relationship. Jesus, thank you for the way that you taught about prayer, because like ice cream, prayer is good for the soul sometimes, in fact, all the time. Bless us today as we seek you and as we learn how to talk with you and listen to you. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May God grant you peace now and forever. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. And may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.